I want to continue in a sermon series that we began a couple weeks ago called Help Me Believe. And uh, we're tackling and addressing things that might hinder our faith, that prevent us from possibly making a decision to follow Jesus, or as we follow Jesus, to hinder our faith and potentially cause us to not fully trust and hold back in our devotion, or perhaps even lead us to leave the faith as a whole. And so we looked at the resurrection and how if the tomb is still empty, then that applies to us today. We can actually overcome any hindrance. We talked about how we can believe despite our circumstances. When we have unanswered prayers that we need to believe even when God says no or not yet. And then last week we talked about God can still work in our lives and the need for his word and his spirit and his people to remind us of this truth. Today we're going to talk about help me believe when I have fear, when I am afraid. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for this opportunity to get into the scriptures. Father, we pray that you will guide our time in your word. Father, we pray that we can be honest with where we are at so that, God, you can minister to our souls. And, Father, I pray that, that you cast me to the side and that you preach your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me ask you this. What are you afraid of? What are some things that you or people are, are ten, tend to be afraid of? Uh, yes. Lions and bears. All right. Lions and bears. There you go. Yes. Fear of abandonment. Okay. All right. Being by ourselves alone, abandoned. All right. Others. What are some, some fears that you might have? Yes. Fear of failure. Yes. That's a big one for me right there. The fear of failure. I try, but I don't uh, achieve what I want. Yes. Fear of hell. Okay. Yeah. That's a legitimate one. Okay. Yes. Suffocation. All right. Fear of suffocation. We're getting honest and real up in here. All right. There you go. Yes. Fear of making the wrong decision. Is it, can anybody relate to that? There you go. We all can relate to that, right? Okay. Others. Anybody else? What else? Some fears. I know we have. Yes. Go ahead. Fear of pain for kids and grandkids. All the mothers say, mm-hmm. A lot of parents have that fear. We're fearful that things might happen to our kids. And then if we're able to have grandkids, that fear. We know there's a number of things that we can be afraid of that people are generally afraid of. Death. Public speaking, right? The studies show that tends to be the number one thing. Even over death, people are afraid of getting up here and speaking publicly. Uh, the fear of failure. The fear of heights. Speaking of heights, a couple of us next week, we're going to go skydiving. Yes, me, Kenny Barber, Tuan, and Kenny's wife, Julie Barber, is going to go skydiving right there. So we're excited about that. But you know, I have to be honest with you. Every day it gets closer, something starts feeling a little weird inside, you know? I was talking with Alan earlier. I was like, he's like, man, I'm so excited for you. If you decide to quit, man, I'll replace you. And I'm like, you know, there is a little bit of me that wants to say, yeah, let's do that. And so I know that once I get up there, boy, I should not record that video. Because I might not sound like the baritone that I am. But we can have lots of fears. And spiritually, we can have some fears as well, can't we? 
And some of these things, yes, they all fall under the realm of, of spirituality and our faith. But, but we can have some fears about, yes, what's the right thing to do? How about fears of uh, failing spiritually? Fear of, man, will I make it to the end? We have the fear of, man, you know what, especially those of us who have, uh, those who are under our care. We have the fear that somehow the world will pollute them and our kids won't grow up to be faithful disciples of Jesus. We have fears that potentially uh, our relationship status won't be what we've always dreamed and desired. We might have some fears that uh, financially we won't achieve the goals that we've always set out or the expectations that society or maybe our family or just ourselves that we put on ourselves. And so we have this fear and many times this fear can affect and hinder our faith, can it? Because then we start to question God's word and his promises and we start to wonder, will those things be realized in my life? And so that fear of either not obtaining, achieving, acquiring, calls us to potentially, either consciously or subconsciously, pull back from God. And therefore, we might not fully give ourselves and to the song, surrender all. In fact, we will surrender most, but not that particular area of my life. And so we need to make sure that we have help to believe when we have these fears. Amen. And so let's go ahead and let's get into God's word so he can help us to believe when we are afraid. I want us to go back here and uh, get the context here. And we're going to go back into the uh, divided monarchy. And so those who are visiting maybe maybe don't know too much. I want to pull you up to speed. Those of us who are biblical scholars, you already know where we're at. But these are some of the significant moments in the Christian faith. And we get to this point in time that after King David, he's the famous king who slayed Goliath. He's the king. His son becomes King Solomon. But after that, his third, his grandson, the kingdom divides. And you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And those of us who remember, the northern kingdom really abandons the faith. The southern kingdom, they're a roller coaster. Their faith is up and down. And so at this time, the north generally has this idolatry taking place. But this king comes into place named Ahab, and he marries Jezebel. Uh-oh, we already heard that. Uh-oh. I don't know about you, but I've never met anybody named Jezebel. That's the one name that you really don't hear. You know what I'm saying? There's a whole lot of names. Hitler and Jezebel. You never hear anybody name that. Hi, I'm Jezebel Smith. You don't hear that. And we're going to see a little bit of the reason why today here. And so King Ahab and Jezebel, they help turn. Remember, this, they're part of the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom is idolatrous, but they really make it even more so. They built in Samaria, the, 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 the capital city. They built a temple, and in the temple, they built a shrine to the Canaanite god Baal, who is called the god of fertility or the god of rain or the god of dew. And so they built this. So instead of worshiping God, they have right there in their capital, in this temple, this shrine to this pagan idol. And people are worshiping. And so, again, this is the context. And so God raised up a prophet. That means one who spoke the word of God. And God sends this man named Elijah to King Ahab to warn him, hey, you got to change. Another word that we call in the Bible, repent. You got to repent from what you're doing. You're leading people astray. It doesn't go too well. You ever have that happen? You try to talk to somebody and it doesn't go well. And so here he goes to the king and Jezebel and it doesn't go well. 
However, God starts working through Elijah to perform some many miracles. And in chapter 18, a story that, that maybe, maybe many of us are familiar with, some of us aren't, we'll just briefly summarize. Elijah's called and he says, okay, you know, we're going to show the people who the real God is. So we're going to have to display, and I, you call all your prophets of Baal, 450 of them. Let's get all together. We're going to meet on the mountaintop, and we're going to see who God really is, or whose God is real and whose God is false. So they get together, and long story short, Elijah, he's clowning these people. He's making fun of them. Hey, your God, he must be asleep. He's not doing anything. Ha, ha, ha. And nothing goes for these prophets. And then he goes, and he builds this altar, and he says, all right, let's go ahead, and let's pray. And God brings this fire, and everybody is in awe. Everybody is in awe. And in fact, it says this. It says, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So the people are in awe. Whoa, wait a second. The God of rain isn't really a God of rain. This God is a God who produces. This is the God who provides. And so they're in awe. And I forgot to mention, Elijah had said three years earlier, he says, look, there's going to be zero rain until the day I pray about it. And then for three years, it didn't rain. And then after this moment, so after this glorious moment, people are coming back. The prophets, these false prophets are being dealt with. And, and, and uh, Elijah goes and he prays. And guess what happens? It rains. And so imagine if you're Elijah at this point, how would you be feeling? You'd be feeling like the, the, these people from this campus and team tournament, wouldn't you? Yeah. Fired up, got your trophy, <laughs> cheesing, let's take on the Lakers. Well, you probably could beat the Lakers right now. Oh, snap, oh, no. <laughs> but you're probably feeling good. Wow, God has done something incredible. He's used little old me. This is amazing. And so, again, this is the context. Are we all there now? All right, so let's read in chapter 1 and verse 19. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the, all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Hold up. Wow. Here he goes. He has this great moment. And then the queen says, man, may I be cursed. May God deal with me if I don't kill you by tomorrow. Now, here's the thing that's helpful for us in understanding this and how it will apply to our lives. Jezebel had actually already killed a whole bunch of God's prophets already. So when she says this, this is not an idle threat. It's not something like, man, this girl ain't got no power. What was she talking about? He can recall the prophets that have already died, and in fact, there's already been a hundred prophets that have been hiding from Jezebel. So when you hear this, now if you're Elijah, how are you feeling? You still feeling confident? Some of us might be like, yeah, let's go. Some of us might, well, hold up, wait, wait, wait. She knows where I live. This is getting, this is getting, this is getting a little crazy, Dale, right? No matter what, you would have a temptation to what? Doubt. Doubt what's going to happen to you, what the future like for you and God's people. So let's continue 
to read. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Let's stop right there for a quick second. Remember, they're in the northern kingdom. So they're up top. Elijah gets afraid. Jezebel's after me. Word has got out. He runs and he leaves and it says he went to Beersheba in Judah. That's at the southern point of the southern kingdom. So he didn't run across the street and hide out. He didn't run to the next city. He ran all the way through his own northern kingdom, all the way down to the very tip of the southern kingdom so that he can flee. My man is really afraid, isn't he? And so let's continue to read. It says, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Wow. What happened? Elijah was running around making fun of the Baal prophets like, yeah, see, you bunch of suckers. And now he's running off. And he didn't run. He took off miles and miles and miles away. County and county and county. He's all the way past San Francisco from Orange County. And he's hiding out. And now as he's hiding out, he's afraid. It says, what? God, take my life. This huge victory, this mountaintop experience, literally mountaintop experience to this low pit of despair and discouragement and fear. And I don't believe he was suicidal. I believe that's just where his mind state was at in which he's like, man, I, I, God, just, just take me now. Let me ask you this. You ever fall, fail or stumble after a great spiritual victory? You ever have that? I mean, you can argue that sometimes the greatest challenge comes after a great victory spiritually. I know this happens to me a lot. I'll just be honest. I mean, sometimes I get up on a Sunday and I pray and, you know, preach the word and I feel like, okay, God, you spoke through me that that worked out. By Monday afternoon, demonic forces hit me and it's like yesterday never happens. And I'm struggling with doubt and fear. And I'm like, what just happened? And so we can relate to Elijah. We can have this spiritual high, but yet be in such a place of despair and grief. And so how would you describe Elijah's faith in God at this moment? He needs a little help to believe, doesn't he? Let's continue reading there. It says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Just love God's treatment of Elijah here. He sends him some help. He sends him a messenger. You know, the, the Hebrew word for angel also is translated as messenger. And so God sends him this angel, this messenger for some help. And don't we need those messengers in our lives when we're down too? And he says, hey, you know what? Let's just get you some food. Let's get a good night of sleep. And he just comforts him. He doesn't scold him or express disappointment, but he's patient in working with him. And it says something interesting. It says, hey, 
for the journey. Get up for the journey is too much for you. You know, God's calling him back into his will. You know, Elijah had veered. He was inside of God's will. He was doing God's work. But when he leaves and flees, he's now outside of God's will. God's calling them back. Hey, the journey is too much for you. I'm carrying them. But we're calling you back to what you're supposed to do. And he calls them back. And he's patient. He doesn't just throw them in the mix. He kind of does this by steps, as we'll continue to see. Kind of this crawl, walk, and then run back into God's will. And he says that he went over to this place called Horeb. That's the mountain of God. You know, the other name for that is Mount Sinai. Does anybody remember what happened at Mount Sinai? A number of things happened. This is where God revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush. This is also where God made a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel, and he gave the Ten Commandments. So, Elijah, who had ran, is now going back to this significant place in the history of the faith of God's people. Do you think that was a coincidence? This is deliberate. This is intentional. This isn't random. He's bringing them back to a significant time and place so that he can remember who God is and get his focus back. You know, when we're afraid, we need to also go to our Mount Horeb. We need to sometimes go back to that place and maybe which we got baptized or maybe the place on campus where Gary and Omar reached out to us. Or we need to remember what, I was, what we said when we got baptized or remember, why did I decide to follow Jesus? We need to go back to Mount Sinai when we're in those times of fear. Brothers and sisters, are you with me here? Let's continue reading. In verse 9, it says, there he went into a cave and spent the night. The Lord appears to Elijah and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? That's interesting. What are you doing here? It says, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me, too. You know, some of this is is 100 percent accurate. They tore down God's altars. They, They had killed the prophets. But you see this fear and where it's led, Elijah. You know, this fear has led to more. It started to evolve and bubble and snowball into something massive now. Have you, do you see it? It's not just a little bit of fear that he's dealing with, but it's become so much more. You ever had your fear lead you to much more? We can see the depression that, that, that Elijah is facing. You know, what happens when we, when we hold on to fear and then we let go faith in God? What happens when we hold on to that fear, but we let go of faith in God? A couple observations I'd like to share, the results of this. Number one, we take matters into our own hands. Isn't that the first thing we do? When we doubt, we're afraid, I don't know if it's going to work out, let me take control again. Jesus, you had the will, I'll take it back. And we take things into our own hands. And what does that usually lead to? Poor choices. And long-term consequences. You ever do something out of fear and it led to long-term consequences? We could probably spend days here sharing stories. But some of us, we could come to our dating relationships. 
Because of this fear, we're holding on to the fear. I don't know if God's going to give me what I want. And so I'm going to let go of his will and his commands. So now we're going to websites or we're getting drinks with our coworker or classmate who isn't a man or woman of God. We're spending time entertaining the thought or engaging in a relationship that is outside the will of God. And what happens? Leads to an ungodly focus, an ungodly relationship and produces sin. Some of us with our parenting, we fear our kids. We, we, we get into fear-based parenting. I don't want little Johnny, little Susie to get in trouble, so I'm going to do everything I can to protect them. And then we swing the pendulum, and then it produces this resentment. Or some of us spiritually, we're like, I, I want to make sure they become disciples of Jesus. And so we get so fear-based, and then we do things that actually turn them away from God. And we start to compromise our principles and values and convictions so that we can please them because we don't want them to have any bad experience with God or anything because I just want them to make it. And so this fear takes over and we compromise to the request and then we start making excuses for them. Financially, I want to, I want to, I want this in my life, and, but if I give to God, I won't achieve that. So let me take matters into my own hands. I'm going to work. I'm going to grind. And then we get disconnected from God, disconnected from his people. Brothers and sisters, can you relate to any of this? You know, one of the other things that we can do is we can flat out do nothing. You know, that fight, fright, or flight. You know, just going ahead. We see that with Elijah. He did a whole lot of sleeping, didn't he? I don't know if you caught it, it was like every moment, and he went to sleep, and he went to sleep. It's like, all right, man, get up, brother. But he just got up, and yes, he's dealing with a lot of things there, and I think God was part of the comfort, but man, he's just doing nothing. And some of us, you know, when we hold on to fear and we let go of faith in God, we just do nothing. We stand there. We don't do anything. And we think, well, at least I'm not doing bad. But if you're not doing good, then you're not doing God's will. And so we sit up here and we do nothing. We don't do the good that God is calling us to. And then it still doesn't get better. But the thing we also see is there's a void of peace and purpose. Elijah, God, take my life. I, I don't want to live anymore. And what happened? He pushed out the presence of God. This disconnect, and that's what happens. We become actually, instead of filled with this excitement, this fulfillment that we thought we would have, we actually are void now of the peace of God and the purpose that comes from living in communion with God. And so this fear and this confusion becomes depression and anxiety and we stop trusting God. We stop trying to pursue him in a relationship. It first starts off with we stop praying with faith. We, we pray, but then we really lack faith as we pray. Then what happens is we stop to pray much at all. Then we stop reading his word. Or we read it and we're like, yes, I just got through it so I can get to whatever else I need to do today. Then we stop meeting with the church and people and we start making excuses about why we can't meet up. Oh, I got this to do. I got that. And we start making excuses and we get disconnected from his people. And then what happens? We start thinking the way we used to think. And then our actions start to reflect the old life that we used to live. 
And so this disconnect and this separation gets further and further. And so this anxiety and depression and, and fear and stress, it starts to consume us. And we're no longer in the will of God. We're no longer living this life full of purpose, but now we're void of purpose. And now we're living for any old thing. And again, it doesn't fulfill because it always oversells and underproduces. But I want us to take a step and go just another level deeper with this idea of fear. Let's get to some of the roots that I personally see when it comes to us holding on to fear and letting go of faith in God. And I believe the root issues that we can see here is that we forget God's character, we forget what God has done, and we don't trust his plans. Think about this. You forget what his character is like. That's what you saw Elijah. He had just had this great thing and now he's afraid. God, are you still good? Are you still a protector? And this is what we can do. We forget God's character. And that's at the root. That's what's producing this doubt and this fear is because we're unsure of what he's like. Think about this. Hopefully, you don't trust a lot of strangers. A lot of us teach our kids stranger danger, right? Right. And the reason we do this is because why? Because you are unfamiliar with their character. They have not deemed or proven themselves to be worthy of trust, to be reliable men or women or men or women of integrity. But when you know someone's character, if you know they're trustworthy, what do you do? You trust them. I, I know. I know what you're like. Think of your best friend. Hey, I can share this thing with you because I know that you're going to help me. You're going to hold this dear to you. You're not going to go out and blast this on, on Instagram and Facebook because I know your character and I trust you. But see, we get to fear when we forget what God is like. I don't know if he's good. Is he? Then we can forget what God has done in our lives. You know, go back to this. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Again, some of this is real, but did he mention anything about that whole First uh, uh, Kings 18 about fire coming down and rain and all that? Totally forgot about it. Totally forgot about it. And that's what we can do. We forget how God's changed our lives. We forget the good that God has done. We can forget the blessings we've had of following him and his will. We forget how he's transformed us. We forget the many and many prayers that he answered and the many prayers he said no to that we look back and we go, thank you for saying no to that. And so we forget. And many of us have so many great stories of victory, but we can forget in the moments. It's like my Monday sometimes at 3.30 or 4.30 p.m. I forget totally what happened on Sunday. God, you used me, and now here I am struggling. I, it's out of my mind. It's like it never even happens. You see, again, we can forget what God has done, and therefore what happens? We don't trust his plans. Elijah probably, I don't think he doubted God's power. I think he doubted God's plans. I think he was familiar. God, I know you have power, but I just don't, I just doubt that, that there's going to be good for you. I mean, not for you, but for me and your people in all of this. And so what happens with us? We're afraid to trust God completely. And so for some of us, actually, we're right here, we're afraid to, to choose to follow God because, again, we, we, we don't trust his plans. 
We're like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to give myself fully to Jesus because I don't know if it's going to really work out for me. I appreciate what Dallas shared earlier, right? When he was talking about offering, like, okay, how is this going to benefit me? Like, is this really going to turn out well for me? And many of us can, 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 this is what happens. Because we don't trust, because we don't know what he's like, we forget what he's done. Then we just don't trust his plans. And what's up to happening? We're afraid of missing out, FOMO. We're afraid that we're going to miss out on something. We're, fear, we're fearful that our relationship status won't be what we want. And so therefore we make our own decisions. We're afraid of our future. I can't give sacrificially an offering because it might not mean, uh, it might mean I might not achieve my financial goals or God won't provide for my needs. We're afraid to speak up to that brother or sister who we know needs to hear the truth. But we're afraid that if we do, we know God wants us to. We know that's in his word, but he, he or she might get upset with me. It might not go well. I'm afraid, I know, God, you called me to be an ambassador, to be a fisher of people. It, but, but if I share my faith with my coworker or my classmate, it might possibly get weird. And so we don't trust that his plans are good, that he's doing something bigger. But let's continue in the story. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Many of us are very familiar with this. And so God's like, look, I'm, I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going I'm I'm to, my presence is going to be with you. And you see this, this powerful wind. You see this, this earthquake. You see things shattering. But it says he came in a gentle whisper. Many of us, God, can you do something great? Can you do this? Move a mountain, have an animal talk to me to reveal your will. We want all these big, grandiose things. The guy's like, I just need to give you a gentle whisper. You just need to go back to my scriptures. I got, I got your will for you right here. You, you, you just need to go and get with that brother and sister. They're going to speak my word to you. You don't need something grand and something elaborate. God speaks often in a gentle whispers. The question is, are we listening? We need to be aware and attentive to when God is calling us. Stop looking for the big, but see that he's in the small. He's in those times of solace and quiet and solitude. Let's continue to read. Brothers and sisters, are you still with me here? When Elijah heard this, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. He realized, well, God is holy. He says, then a voice said to him, what are you doing here? Elijah he said, hey, what's going on, man? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. It's like he's rehearsed this, hasn't he? He's been saying this in his head. Okay, God, now you want him to keep telling you. But you see, God's been patient. He's been working with him. But he's still vulnerable and honest of where he's at. It says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Hey, you've been traveling a whole lot. Go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus, where you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the word of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. What do we see? Seeing God strengthen him. 
And then in verse, uh, the next verse in 19, it says he went down and anointed Elisha. So Elijah took this. He got to the point where he's running, he's afraid, he's discouraged, he's depressed, and now he's back in line with God's will and he's doing what God called him to do. And we see God work in this situation. And so we see this story, this high, this valley, but now we see the resurrection of his faith and we see God work. And I believe there's some valuable lessons to quickly go and learn from this on how we can overcome fear, how we can believe when we are afraid. Brothers and sisters, are you still with me here? First off, we need to admit our fear to God and others. It's the first thing we got to do. We have to admit, God, I, 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 this is what I'm afraid. Of. I'm afraid of this outcome. I'm afraid if I actually follow your will in this area of my life, I'm afraid this is what will happen. And we need to share that with our brothers and sisters, which implies that we get with our brothers and sisters, which implies that we have deeper relationships with our brothers and sisters. You guys with me here? And so we need to be honest and just admit to these things. That's what Elijah did. Hey, God, uh, here's where I'm at. Hey, they're all trying to kill me, too. And he's afraid. But then we need to go ahead and gain God's point of view. And this is the key right here. We need to gain God's point of view. You see what happened? He remembered what God had done. He was brought to Mount Horeb. Why again? So he can remember, hey, I've been doing a whole lot for the nation. I'm going to do a whole lot through you still. And we need to be brought back and remember what God has done in our lives. Remember what he's done in the lives of those around us. Remember who he is. Remember his character. Remember his goodness and his faithfulness. And therefore, we can get perspective. And turn that stinking thinking to godly thinking. And this is where we learn of his plan and his will that's actually good for his kingdom and for you personally. You know, he learned, Elijah learned that there was a plan to deal with this sin and that there was going to be glory for God. God reveals, hey, look, look, you're going to go anoint some people. Some things are going to happen. We're going to deal with some of this stuff here. Don't worry about it. Oh, and guess what? You're not the only one. I got 7,000 other prophets. And seven, we know, those who are into to the Hebrew numerology meant, meant, meant perfect here. And so he's saying, hey, look, I got a whole lot of prophets that I'm still providing for, still taking care for. So you're not the only one. Let you, let me, let me let you into my perspective things so that you can understand. And how do we do that? Well, obviously, we got to read his word. That's how we get his perspective, don't we? We, we got to be in step with the Spirit. We got to be praying for God to guide us. We need to get help from friends. Again, that Hebrew word for angel is messenger. We need those messengers in our lives to help bring us back into focus so that our faith can be in Him and not on the situation, so that our fear that we don't hold on to, but we hold on to God and His word. And then lastly, we got to take a step of faith and follow God's direction. Once we get his point of view, it's no good to just stay still. We got to therefore follow his direction, follow his calling for our lives. Trust that his character and plan and power will protect us and guide us. And this means obeying the word that we already know. I know what your will is in this area of my life and put it into practice. We see God comfort him and then he calls him to this great task. He's worked with him. Hey, all right, we're going to be patient. And then he calls him to this great task. He, he, he wasn't let off the hook, but he was still used by God. So here's the question for all of us today. What is God calling you to today? What is God calling you to today? 
Perhaps it's to change your job so that you can invest more into building up his kingdom. Maybe it's to go on a mission team and to see the gospel spread in the states or across the globe. Maybe it's to talk to that brother or sister about the sin that you know will destroy their lives. Maybe it's to share your faith with that classmate or that neighbor or that coworker. Maybe it's to increase your offering to God so that God can do some great things here in North Orange County. Maybe he's calling you to become a leader in a church and to use your talents instead of using it for your job and your income, but to use it to bring his glory and gifts to his kingdom. Maybe he's calling you to leave your old life and put your trust in Jesus and get right with him. Whatever the call is, I pray that the answer is, here am I, send me. Lord, I'm afraid, but I have your perspective and I'm going to follow through. Fear is real. It's powerful and it can rule our lives. It can rule our decision making. And as we can see, can hinder our faith and belief in God's promises and plans. But like Elijah, we too can overcome that fear. Let's admit to our fear. Let's get God's perspective and then let's follow God's direction. We're going to take communion right now in which we remember Jesus' death upon the cross. The emblems representing his blood and body that was sacrificed for our salvation. And, you know, Jesus is always the perfect model to go to for any concept, any idea. His example in the scriptures and his teachings serve as a model for us to follow. And there's something really cool he says in John 14 and verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in Matthew 28, his last words to his disciples before he, he ascended to heaven, he says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the ultimate example. We thank you for his faithfulness. We thank you that he rose from the dead. Therefore, we can trust you completely. And God, I pray that right now as we take communion, God, we can be reminded of who you are. We can be reminded through the cross of your character. We can be reminded of what you have done in the past, in the faith, but what you have done in our lives. And God, we can be moved and stirred to follow you today. That we can be moved and stirred to say, here am I, send me. Not only today, but as we move forward from here. And that God, that we can be in sweet fellowship with you. We thank you for your belief in us. And God, we thank you that you help us believe even when we are afraid. In the name of Jesus, amen.